Welcome back this evening as we continue to talk about God's amazing grace. And if you're unfamiliar with that, uh, what we're talking about on Sunday nights is simply very uh, looking at the stories of God's grace, not just in the eternal sense, but also in the everyday sense. And, and looking at the stories of grace as God poured it out to his people. We've been in Genesis, and uh, we'll get to the story in just a minute. But <clears throat> speaking of grace, I was talking with the teens tonight, and uh, Grace was showing me her journal that she keeps notes in. And I was kind of saying, it's really cool. It's pictures and font changes and color. It, it, it's quite amazing. And I know there are some people who take notes like this, very artistic and such. So I was really proud of that. And I said, can I look at that? So I was kind of thumbing through it and just kind of seeing what she had listened to and heard from the preaching. And I could not have been more proud than to look at a, a certain page and there in bright, bold letters was the word, don't eat the Tide Pods. <laughs> Influencing and impacting the next generation. I, You know, uh, it's good. So uh, thank you, Grace, for paying attention, and thank you for all of you who take notes so diligently. I think that's a great thing. keeps God's Word fresh in our hearts and in our minds and reminds us of some important life skills that perhaps uh, you don't get from your parents. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> 4,000 years ago, a 75-year-old man named Abram listened to God, trusted him, and obeyed him in faith. In doing so, he became a part of a story that would forever change the world. Not just his story, but our story. I know we use the phrase, I'm blessed, I've used that. I know uh, Justin Abraham uses that, and many of you do as well. Maybe you've said that yourself. Tonight we are looking at a man who absolutely personified, I'm blessed. He lived it out in, and, and was blessed in every conceivable way by God. And his story gives us some great lessons to remember, some poignant things to think about for our story. If you're following along, you're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is not the beginning, it's close to the beginning, but not quite, of the story of Abram, as he was called. And it's certainly not the end of his story. But in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we read the following. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, in, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in all and in you all the families of all the earth will be blessed the first thing that we understand um in this very short section of scripture is that abram later called abraham uh 
was God, called by God to leave. The, the, the God of our glory, according to Stephen, quoting Genesis 12 and Acts chapter 7, verse 2, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. <clears throat> he would leave the settled post-Babel world and embark on a new adventure. It's important for us to remember, I think, that hopefully we never get too old and too comfortable and too familiar and too settled with God. Being too familiar and comfortable and settled, I, I hardly can think of a story from Genesis to Revelation where God left one of his people alone. Where God wanted them to be comfortable and secure and safe and have no risk involved. No following the Lord and later following the Lord's Son, Jesus Christ, always meant a risk. Walking in faith. Without faith, the Hebrew writer would later write, it is impossible to please God. So why then would you expect in your walk that he would let you alone, that he would keep you from having moments where you have to trust him, where all your control, all your efforts, all your work cannot solve the problem, but rather you've simply got to trust him, that he will lead you, and that he'll take you to a better place, may not be comfortable or familiar, Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, which is not part of the scripture that we read, Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, I understand that Bible characters in this time lived much longer, but 75 years on this earth, you have a tendency within your mind to say, okay, you know, I, I've got this thing figured out. I'm familiar. I'm comfortable. I, I know what's expected of me. I know what I expect of other people. This was, by the way, hopefully I'm not sure how well we don't have obviously great projectors, but the the journey that they took Here's a line there. You'll just have to imagine it in your mind or follow the green dot. This journey from where Abram was to where God called him to go was, I'll do it for this side of the audience, was long and arduous. By foot, with animals, with his family, with a, a, a caravan following this was not an easy journey. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, the writer, speaking of faith there, says that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And I love this. And he went not knowing where he was going. At 75 years, Abram obeyed and went, 
not knowing where the destination was. Imagine that. Um, I'm not sure if any of you are 75 or older, but imagine leaving your home, your family, familiarity, security, comfort, stability, and going on a a, a trip, a, a very long one, that would take a long time to get there. Not knowing where you were going. Perhaps God calling you to a mission to go to a land that was strange to you, that was foreign, that you did not know anything about, to teach people that you did not know about the love of God and his faithfulness. Admittedly, I think that would be a difficult thing to do. But Abraham showed his faith by not allowing himself to be tied down in this world, but to be obedient to the Lord. So he took his wife, his nephew Lot, the possessions that they had, the servants they had, and they set out. And in so doing, this wasn't like, hey, we're going out, and then eventually we're going to come back home. Now this is a one-way ticket, never to return. They started over because the Lord called them to do so. I really don't think it's ever too late for God to do a work in your life. I know there are um, what I call the hip and cool churches out there. Okay, and it's essentially full of people under 40. And, and there's energy and enthusiasm and they, they try new things and it's all, it's all lots of fun. But there's no wisdom. There's no experience. There's no people to say uh, from the wisdom of years, here's how God has worked. And here's how God will work again. I love that God calls Abram at the, at the place where he was to leave and to become an example to those who would be willing to leave what's familiar and secure and comfortable and known in obedience to the Lord. My question to you is this, based on what is God calling you to leave? We touched on this a little bit this morning, but maybe some of you have an area of your life and your heart that God is calling you to leave. And to do so is terrifying. Because it's leaving security and comfort and stability and everything you know. And yet you cannot shake this sense that God has something bigger for you to do. May we never lose our, our sense of adventure with God and our willingness to go outside of what's comfortable and familiar. Number two. God rewarded Abraham's faith. Abraham responded in faithful obedience. But really, as you look at this story, it was God who does the work. It was God who gets him from here to there. And God who will deliver him through, to and through uh, this story. The blessings that he receives were the work of the Lord is reward to Abraham for his trust and obedience. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must do two things. Believe that he exists. And believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This covenant, which is made, rather introduced here, uh, is known as the Abrahamic Covenant. This uh, covenant was a, a, a legal arrangement between two parties. We see this in the covenant with Noah. We see this, of course, with Abraham and later on with Moses. Now, there's a whole lot of in, more in-depth study on what a covenant is and what it isn't. But in that time... It was a legally binding arrangement, and it was a, a, a comparison of what these two parties were bringing to the agreement and, furthermore, what would happen to them if they broke the agreement, broke the arrangement. Like I said, this covenant is introduced here. We're just teased. We just kind of get the trailer in this moment. But it's fully described in chapter 15 of Genesis God will reaffirm it in chapter 17. He will renew it in chapters 26 and 28. The, I, the point in all of that for the repetition, the introduction, the, the, the renewal of it is to remind us how very important this covenant was. Each time it's affirmed, each time it's discussed, there are four basic elements to this covenant. The seed, which is Christ, Abraham's seed. The promise of land and the new land that they would inhabit. The promise of a nation that would come from him. Now, you remember at this time, no children born to Abram and Sarai. None. And it wouldn't happen for uh, well over a couple of decades later. So the seed, which was Christ, the promise of land, the promise of a new nation, and the promise of a divine blessing. Uh, let's look at just chapter 12 and break down what I call the seven promises of this um, that, that are mentioned in this chapter. The first is the promise of a heritage. Uh, this is what we... When he, the Lord says, uh, I will make you a great nation. Um, <clears throat> in chapter 26, verse 4, the Lord says to Abram, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Powerful promise. Surely, from his perspective, somewhat unbelievable. I, I just so much bigger than we have the ability to conceive, to imagine, or to dream. In chapter 28, verse 14, the Lord speaks again, and he says, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. Now, this is a particularly good time to talk about dust. 
I'm not sure I could count the amount of dust that just lands on my car. And God promises that your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. That you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Speaking of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, and how they would spread so far in every direction, and how that through them would come the Christ that would bless all families on earth. The second promise is the personal promise. In chapter 12, he says, I will bless you. Um, And... There was, that was no small exaggeration. The Lord very much blessed Abram. Chapter 13, verse 2 of Genesis says that Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. This promise not only seems to apply to Abraham, but also Abraham's descendants. There's a fascinating book, if you're interested, written by a Jewish rabbi. It's called Thou Shalt Prosper. And it's the story of the principles of the Jewish people and why, when they're spread as they are today in all corners of the world, they tend statistically, and he does research on this, to always prosper in business and be very successful. And he goes through these principles. Uh, I remember a couple of them from reading the book. He says, one... You are in business. Business is an honorable thing. Your vocation, your impact on the world is very much in how you do business. He goes through, and if you have any interest, I'll be glad to show you the book, but it's fascinating. And I think this was part of the personal blessing that God gave to Abram Uh, within the law. of the Jewish people are some wonderful work ethic principles. And um, we, can, we can see people who put them into practice, even if they're not of the Jewish faith, uh, they are blessed. I can think of a restaurant, for example, that's very successful, wildly successful, And they only work six days of the week. There's a principle there. And and I think it's true. I think God blesses those who honor him. The third promise is the reputation promise. He says, I will make your name great. This is not really something you think about when you're in the early stages of life, but as you get to the later stages of life, as you have children and grandchildren, you think about the impression of your name and what it means and what people think when they hear your name, especially as it's attached to your children and your children's children. Abraham's name was very respected. In chapter 21 of Genesis, verse 22 of chapter 21, 
we read, At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. There is a principle that even amongst people who do not revere the Lord or his name or his law or his word, I can very much see when a person is blessed by the Lord in their success, in uh, it seems like they, and according to Psalm chapter 1, whatever he does, he prospers. In chapter 23, uh, after Abraham's wife Sarah died, um, in, there's this interesting account in chapter uh, verses 5 and 6 of chapter 23. The Hittites, by the way, who are not his family, not his people, the Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. It was clear that even though the Hittites were not Abraham's people or his family, uh, he had a great name, a great reputation. The fourth one is the resource promise. He says, I will, make, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And, and there's two very different things right there. It's one thing to be blessed, but it, it's a whole different level to be a blessing. I think some of the great people of God aren't just receivers and acknowledgers of God's blessings, but they overflow with them. In chapter 24, verse 35, we read the following about Abraham. Abraham. Um, Let me read it in, in starting in verse 34. The servant has gone to get Isaac a wife. He says in verse 34, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. Not necessarily affecting here at Northside, but there are... um, People who believe that for some reason wealth is a bad thing, that riches are, and and I'm not preaching prosperity gospel here, so don't misunderstand me, Um, but there's the other end of that, which sort of is, uh, best I can describe it as Christian socialism. You know, that that if you have any wealth, uh, you're bad, you're evil, and that you... Clearly have cheated someone out. And you have a responsibility to social justice and all that to to share it all and, and make it all equal. And i got to say, just as we look at the story of Abraham, he was very blessed by the Lord. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being blessed by the Lord. 
But what it means is a much higher degree of responsibility to be a good steward. This morning, as I came into practice, um, as I usually do, Tyler came in with me and uh, he'll usually go around and, and do some things and help Clayton. And, and he asked me for my keys to the building. And Tyler knows what I said. I, I said, these keys represent great power. And with great power comes great responsibility. So that, that's my little, he and I have that joke running, and it's from Spider-Man, I think, or, or some movie. But it's, it's just this understanding that when I tell him that, I'm telling him, I'm letting out the rope a little bit. I'm giving him a privilege. And he's got to use that wisely. In the same way, some of God's people will be exceptionally blessed financially, with means, and there's nothing wrong with that. As long as, you know, nothing wrong with having stuff. Just don't let your stuff have you, okay? Nothing wrong with having money. Just don't let your money have you. It's a higher level of responsibility, but done right, Christians who are blessed financially are incredibly, incredibly uh, resourceful, and good resources for God's kingdom. I told you the story about uh, a lady who was not of a great, I mean, I, she and her husband didn't make a tremendous amount of income, but they were diligent with the income they had, spent less than they made, which is a wild concept. And they put that extra that they had, and they put it away, and they put it away for a lifetime. And when Blanche Phillips passed away, she left a portion of that to be used specifically for the support of people who wanted to go into ministry and to serve the kingdom. Now, I can't tell you what a blessing that Blanche Phillips was to my life. We never met, and we haven't met in this world. She died the year I was born. But I'm talking about her today to you because she was an exceptional steward. She was blessed by the Lord and had vision enough to think not just about her legacy, but about the kingdom legacy. I love that. I would love to be able to get to a point in my life where I'm able to financially and maybe even with time and talent support the church, and maybe if God so chooses to support it even beyond my own lifetime. Maybe some of you here tonight are thinking in that way. That's good. That's the way resourceful and resource-filled people think. They don't think about that for themselves. They think about it for the blessing of God because they realize it's a blessing from God. Number five the reciprocity promise, I will bless those who bless you. Um, And this goes right along, so I'm going to talk about them together, with the affliction promise. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. 
And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's interesting to me that God paid attention to how people treated his servant, Abram. And he promises to bless those who bless him and curse those who dishonor him. Now, I'm not going to go so far as to say that this applies to us today. But I do think the lesson is clear, that God pays attention to his people. And God pays attention to where, rather with how other people treat his people. May we not forget, if his eye is on the sparrow, as was mentioned this morning, his, he knows the very numbers of hairs on your head. Fascinating. You will never know the number of hairs on your head. Some of you can guess easier than others, but you'll never know precisely. I'm looking over here, not looking at Brian. That's, that's a bad career move. <sighs> But if God knows us that well, then doesn't it stand a reason that he will take care of us? That he will see you through? Probably one of the biggest lies that we sometimes subtly, sometimes directly believe is that there's too many people for God to keep an eye on me. How vain. May we not forget that he remembers you. And finally, the most important promise, if if there were none of the previous six and only this one, it would still be the best in the world. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Chapter 22, verse 18. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Jesus, God called Abram. And he obeyed, and because he obeyed, he was able to bring forth a Messiah who obeyed perfectly. Abraham was a good guy, but for sure he wasn't perfect. But because he obeyed the Lord and trusted the Lord and in faith walked with the Lord, from his offspring came the Messiah who would obey perfectly. When Peter preached after healing the lame man in Acts 3.25, he said this to the Jewish people. He said, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with, with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all families of the earth be blessed. When Paul wrote to the Christians at Galatia, in, uh, as he's addressing Gentiles, people who are not of Israel, he said this in Galatians 3.8, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. I don't know if you caught that, but it tells us that the gospel, the story of the gospel was preached in Genesis to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed a lot of a lot of elements of that promise there but may we not forget this simple fact god's blessings are always for a purpose the blessing was for a purpose in abram's life to be a blessing sometimes 
God has you where you are so that he can bring you where he needs you to be. I have no doubt that he will call you to difficult and uncomfortable times and tasks. But may we not forget Abraham's faith that he trusted in him, not knowing where he was going. And because of his obedience, the Lord blessed him in ways that I'm not even sure Abraham himself fully understood. In Joshua 24, verse 3, in that account, he says, Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him all through the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. All right, four quick takeaways for us tonight. <clears throat> Number one, start in faith. God's blessings are God's response to our faith and trust and obedience in him. Now, and I, when I say faith, I always have to qualify it by saying it's not just this belief. Yeah, yeah, I believe in God. James says you believe in God. Good. Even the demons believe in that and shudder. Now, faith is belief that puts on its work boots, belief that puts on its shoes and goes and follows where the Lord leads. It, it responded, as Abraham did, in obedient faith every single time. I'm not sure what God is calling you to do or where he's calling you to go, but may you start with faith, which means trusting him enough to do what you know he's called you to do. Number two, be comfortable being uncomfortable. God's called are called to go out the safe and the comfortable, outside the safe and the comfortable and the familiar places. If this world is not our home, then may we not treat it as such. If you're seeking safety and comfort and security, you likely are not seeking the Lord. Following him has rarely, if ever, been safe, comfortable, secure in anything else but him. I mean, the security and comfort is in him, but not in the things of this world. Number three, live to be leaving. God may call you to leave where you are, or at least to be separate from this world, to live in this world without being corrupted by it. That's hard to do hard to do. The longer you live in this world, the more it feels like home. And I'm so encouraged. Um, we've had several funerals recently. I'm thinking of Jerry. You know, He lived in such a way that he understood this world was not his home. And, and we're sad. I mean, we want to be there for Pat and the boys and be there for them because we know there's a void. But we rejoice that he is now home. And he is more alive now than he has ever been. And if we have faith and trust and obey, we will too someday. That's the kind of life we're called to live. In First Peter 2, 9 and following, Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Beloved, beloved I urge you as sojourners 
and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Every year, most years, we have visits from the sojourners. They're doing good works here in town, and they'll have their badges on. They'll come and stay with us, and many of you have fed them and helped them in different ways. But the question I always ask, of course, when I meet them is, where are you from? Where's home? It's because their name implies they don't really, you know, they go from place to place and they help and they do good. They don't have a permanent, you know, they eventually all go somewhere. But I love that idea. We're sojourners, we're exiles. We're called to live a life that's leaving. We understand that in Christ. Someday all of this goes up in smoke. Someday all of it's gone. For all of our energies that the human race puts into preserving it. God is not one of those. He does not intend us to stay here. He did everything, in fact, in his power to make sure we're prepared to leave. And finally, ask why. Ask yourself why God blessed you as he did. I don't know how he's blessed you in particular. Maybe it's a home with an extra room. Maybe it's a car with an extra couple of seats. Maybe it's a table with an extra couple of chairs. Maybe it's a pantry full of food, closets full of clothes. My question is, why did he bless you with those things? And how can you glorify the owner of those things? You're not the owner. I'm not either. We are stewards, managers, and we are blessed to be a blessing, as Abraham was. How have God's blessings, either eternally or physically in this world, how have they made a difference in the life of anyone else in this world besides you? You're blessed. We all agree with that. The question to follow is, so what are you doing about it? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The greatest blessing God gave us, of course, was Christ. This blessing began at Abraham's obedience and his faith that made faith possible at all. The question this morning, or this evening, is will you trust the Lord and faithfully obey the Lord as Abraham did? The blessing of Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus, if you think about it, is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all that is familiar and comfortable, to go into a world where he was not known, to create a new people of God. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Christ did that ultimately and made home with God possible once again. If you have not obeyed, in faith, the call, the gospel call of Jesus Christ. Tonight I want to call you to do that. And maybe you've become attached to the things of this world. You've forgotten why you've been blessed to use those blessings to be a blessing, not just to other people, but to the Lord himself. If you find yourself holding on too tightly to the things of this world and have forgotten your purpose as a steward, I hope that you'll repent of that. And if we can pray with you and for you and encourage you, We'll be glad to do that as well. Whatever need you have, please come as together we stand and sing.